Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thank you so much for joining us yet again today. And I've said this many times before, but we're going to tackle really a, a new topic today, business financials for entrepreneurs and more specifically for creatives. And uh, we're going to get to that here in just a little bit, but I'm, I'm with my new friend, Colleen Bees. Thank you so much for making time for the Boca Podcast, Colleen. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me on. And you're quite an interesting individual. We were talking a little bit about not only your photography business, but some of the philanthropic work that you do as a a photographer. You're a boudoir photographer, a wedding photographer, but you're utilizing your talents for other purposes. And and we're going to get into that a little bit as well later on. But let's start with something that, that we're just calling the lesson here on the Boca podcast. What we do at the beginning of the podcast is share uh, or have our guests share what has been the most difficult lesson that they've learned as an entrepreneur so far. If those listening in only have five minutes to listen in, they can at least take something away. What's What's been the biggest lesson for you as an entrepreneur? Yes, absolutely. I love this question and I've been you know, stalking a lot of the other members that you've had on. Yeah. And so I hope I'm not repeating myself in this aspect. But the biggest lesson for me in in my business thus far has been allowing myself to be open to the world and the community. And it all started when Rising Tide Society started. And up until that point in time, I thought to myself, I need to keep all my secrets to myself. I need to hold on to everything that I've got, not let anything go. And, you know, the thing was that was not only terrifying to constantly be looking over your shoulder thinking somebody is out to copy you, somebody out is out to steal your clients and having this fester and grow inside of you emotionally, it takes a toll on you. Yeah. It, it harpers you from really succeeding in the best way that you want to succeed because you're so busy. You're spending so much time and energy thinking about competition, competition. And when you let go of that, when you let go of that, fear that everyone is out there to be your competition, your business will prosper and succeed. And mentally, you're just so much more mentally prepared to accept new business and accept success because you're not so worried now about somebody else trying to get your clients or whatnot. And, and there are multiple things that, that came to mind as you're saying this. I love I love that we're starting off with this topic. But uh, yeah. first of all, when you say worry, there's there's really at the root level, we're talking about fear, right? And fear, and I've learned yeah. this the hard way in my own life, even recent months, fear is extremely limiting. And so when, as you say, you're constantly looking over your shoulder versus focusing on being proactive and creating um, it really does limit your ability as a business owner. It limits your ability as a creative. And, uh, I, and so I think this is a really great reminder for those listening. The other thing that comes to mind um, are really kind of two things. One, if as an individual you're so worried, or as a business owner more specifically, you're so worried about your so-called competition, 
Uh, and, and the reality is, as photographers, there really is a lot of business to go around. Uh, but yeah. if, if you're so worried about it, I would suggest to those listening in that maybe you need to have a little bit clearer brand position um, so that you know exactly who you're going after, your target market that you're going after. And you're not simply trying to tap into the exact same market that every single other person out there is trying to tap into, because now you're not worried about, as you say, worried about being beat out for the work that is that is out there as a wedding photographer, boudoir photographer, portrait photographer. If you're going after a very specific market that nobody else is, you're going to have a lot less to worry about. Um, but that's kind of a side note. Um, really, the, the main idea here, as you point out, Colleen, is the significance of just embracing those around you, doing any and everything that you can to connect with and even help and share with your local community. And as long as you you maintain that very proactive spirit and that kind and, and caring and loving spirit, and, and simultaneously are being a smart and intelligent business person and creating a distinct brand position and continuing to push ahead um, taking things to the next level, there's there's very little for anybody to have to worry about. And, and in fact, you can enjoy your profession as a photographer much, much more. Exactly. That's exactly right. I love it. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, my commentary, I realize that sometimes my commentary gets way, way longer than even what our guests have to say on the topic. But there were multiple, okay. there were multiple thoughts that came to mind there. And uh, I think it's a really great way to start the podcast off. You know, it, it, and it's, I also find this interesting. I'll just add this last little bit. We're in 2018 now, obviously. Um, I started in where I am now on uh, the local Chattanooga, Tennessee market back in 2000, about 2001. And even back okay. then, uh, and in fact, way, way more than even now, there was a, a competitive spirit in the market. And the idea of open sharing was not commonplace. At the time, around 2004, 2005, uh, myself and my business partner got involved with an online community called or- Open Source Photo. And so we had this this kind of digital or virtual outlet for sharing and connecting with other photographers who had a similar mindset. But I very... I had a, I've had a very close personal experience with that competitive mindset. It's interesting that it's still, you know, 16, 17 years later, it's still a point of conversation, but I think it's actually a really good reminder. It's probably still still more of an issue in larger markets, would you say? What, what market are you based in, Colleen? I would say so. I'm in, I'm based in Wisconsin. Okay. And I feel like in our market, there's a lot of photographers around here. There's a lot of photographers that do what I do or do very similar work around the same price points, or maybe they have similar brand positions. And, and I'm okay with that. I think, I think it's almost harder because I live in a slightly smaller community and I think it starts to become more competitive sometimes in a smaller market because people feel like, because we live in a smaller area that there isn't enough work to go around. True. But just holding on to the idea that you have to let go of fear. You have to let go of fear that there is enough work around, that there is enough clients, there are enough weddings, there are enough people getting married, there's enough girls out there for boudoir photography to go around that we can all share in on this. And and the best part is it is a small community that why wouldn't we want to help each other grow and succeed and say, look, this is our small community. We're coming together and we're helping each other out and we're going to make the creative community grow here and foster and build and become successful because we don't need to be in a big city to do that. We can do it in a smaller city. And I think some people think that being in a smaller city is limiting. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of played devil's advocate to the idea of the bigger city being more competitive because you're right. The smaller markets there is, uh, and, and Chattanooga is actually a pretty small market, and, and the number of photographers has increased pretty significantly since when I first started. There is that potential for for competition there, but. I, I one of my favorite things still, even as an editing company owner, and I'm actually getting ready to get back into photography uh, here very soon. But one of my favorite things each week is to go is going to the local get-togethers with a photography community and getting getting to sit down, even if it is that we're just sitting and work all working on our laptops and occasionally chatting and having a bit of coffee and laughing about something. Just that connection with the local community is incredible. It's so encouraging, and being an entrepreneur, as we've talked about on the podcast, can be quite lonely. So. Um, having that outlet to connect with others is is really wonderful, especially those that are like minded. So this is this is really good. And again, I'm I'm going to emphasize this because you know this brand position. This is something we'll talk about here shortly as well. But it's it's a topic that we've emphasized here on the podcast. If you as as a photographer, um, those listening out there as a photographer of, of any kind, wedding portrait or otherwise, if you are have created a distinct distinct brand position that clearly separates you from your so-called competition, there's even less to be concerned about people eating into your potential market. Make sure that you've got a really clear and distinct brand position, and that's much, much less an issue. Continue to innovate, continue to learn, continue to push and do things differently. And yes, plenty of photographers may come into that market, but you already have the opportunity to be ahead of the game and can continue to push that envelope, and there's there's little to worry about there. Just in the U.S. market, on the wedding side, there are over 2 million weddings a year. There are a lot of yeah. weddings to go <laughs> to go around, so... Lots um, of weddings. Absolutely. Well, I, we've, we've again, I, I don't mean to kind of draw out that topic, but it is a really great introduction. I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So let's, uh, as we do here in the Boca Podcast, let's start with something that most people might not know about you, Colleen. Okay. So i pretty open. I share quite a bit on my Instagram, on my Facebook, and in my blog posts. And one thing that I was digging into to find out what I haven't shared yet, and it was during, there was a period of time when I had graduated from high school and I had joined the military and I had a small break before I had to leave for military training. But that break wasn't long enough for me to start college or start a semester of school. So for about six months, I did door-to-door vacuum sales. Like no way. overpriced vacuum sales. Yes. So let me tell you, if you don't know how to sell something, if you are 18 years old with not a lick of knowledge of how to sell, how to do business, how to do anything, and you can go and sell a $2,000 vacuum to people door to door, I tell you what, I've learned so much. I from can imagine. Experience. I've learned so much about rejection that I don't even bat an eye anymore when someone says, no, I'm not booking with you. I just, it's not a big deal. It just rolls off my back. Because I've been rejected over and over and over again. And in that kind of a industry and that kind of product sales was insane. And I still can't believe that I actually did that. How long did you do it for? I did it for six months. And I was actually really good. I was one of the top salespersons wow. in my office. Huh. That, that, well, I'm sure it was an incredible lesson in, in sales uh, or being a salesperson. Is, is there a particular tip or technique or trick that you learned as a salesperson that that carried over into your photography business? I think it was just being confident. Okay. Being 100% confident in what you're selling you because you need to believe it. You yeah. need to believe 
that what you're providing is completely valuable mm. and maybe even more valuable than, than the value that you place upon it for others. Because if you don't believe what you're putting out there, if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in the product you're selling, because at the end of the day, in a service-based industry, you're selling yourself. If you don't believe in that, then you can't sell a product you don't believe in. Oh, that's really, really good. We could probably do a whole podcast episode just on, <laughs> on that topic. That's, that's really great. Now, you mentioned that you were in the military for how long? I joined at the age of 17, so I was really young when I joined, and I spent 12 and a half years in the service before I called it quits, and yeah. Thank you so much for your service. That's incredible. 12 years, and in what branch of the military? So I was Army National Guard based here in Wisconsin, and we had two deployments. My last one was in 2009, was my last big deployment, which was overseas to Iraq, and I think this might lead into something else, but but I'm gonna keep continue on this since it makes sense. Sure. But when I left in 2009, or when I found out that I was getting deployed overseas to go to war, in essence, I was actually relieved. I was relieved because I got to go to war instead of go to work, and that was a relief because I disliked my job so much wow. that I actually preferred to go overseas. And I think it's in that moment that I said, who, who does this? Who feels relief getting shipped off to war, going overseas for a year without seeing their family or friends versus staying stateside? I yeah. said, well, me. And that's not right. I shouldn't feel this way. Mm. And so when I returned from my deployment in 2010, that's when I made a vow to myself. And I said, you know, I'm going to fight for my happiness. I'm going to fight for myself. And I'm not going to settle until I'm absolutely sure that the path that I'm on is the one I want to be on. So that's how my photography journey started and how my entrepreneurial journey started is I knew what I wanted to do. And I knew I wanted to be my own boss, not just a photographer per se, but run my own business and work for myself and choose my own path for always. Wow. For always. I love it. It it sounds like the the end of a beautiful book and hopefully not the end, (laughs) though, maybe the beginning of a beautiful book. I I love it. What what was the toughest lesson that you learned? We were talking about lessons today and and the lessons that you learned as a salesperson. Was there a lesson or lessons that you learned being in the military that also carried over to to being a photographer beyond just realizing that you you needed to make a change and and do your own thing? I think so much of it was discipline. Hmm. In the military, I, I learned so much about self-discipline, holding yourself accountable to everything. You know, it's very hard as human beings to hold ourselves accountable sometimes. And in the military, it really taught me to hold myself accountable. And it taught me to be a better person and a better leader. As I spent six of my six and a half of the 12 and a half years in a leadership position as a lieutenant. Wow. And I had other people that were relying on me. They were relying on my guidance and what I needed to do. And so I had to hold on that brave face and hold on that front and say, things are going to be okay. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. And even if there were times where I felt I wasn't fully aware and I wasn't sure what was going on, I needed to be that beacon because other people were looking for that from me. And I think so much of that going into what I do in running my business is I want to be that same beacon for other people that are running their business that want the help that maybe don't have it or they don't haven't, you know, strummed up the courage within themselves to see that yet. And they need someone and they need someone to look up to or to see, hey, what is she doing? What can I learn from her? And then me being open enough 
to allow that to happen without that fear of competition. You know, this, this strikes and this is totally not the direction that I was planning on going, but, but I appreciate you being, being willing to share a little bit about this. One of the things that you talked about just now, being in a leadership position, was the significance of, of just going forward or doing when you weren't even totally sure what was going to happen yourself. Uh, and, and that really strikes a chord with me because this, this idea of just doing, just moving forward, you know, that, that uh, old Nike line, just do it, comes to mind. Yes. That has really been an important, I guess, realization in my life, not just mentally, but outwardly as of late. Uh, the significance of just doing, even if you don't know all the details, if, even if you're not 100% sure, you do the best with what you have in the moment or what you know in the moment, and you move on it. You move forward because there's a tendency as kind of emotional artist types that we get in our head and get lost there and never do move forward. And you always hear those stories of people are like, oh, I thought of that idea or I thought I was going to do this or I, pl- I talked about doing that. But they never did it. What, what enabled you as a lieutenant, as a leader, making a decision, not being 100% sure in the moment how to move forward to just move forward? Was it just a matter of, of taking action and then figuring it out as you went along? How did that work? I think so. It was a matter of just doing it. I think I'm going to rewind a little bit here and go back to why I even joined the military in the first place. Sure. At the age of 17, I was a completely different person than I am today. I was very shy, quiet, super insecure, didn't talk to anyone, didn't have a whole lot of friends, didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. And it was actually when my father, who I, I love my father, but he was he was a very traditional and hard, like very strict father. Yeah. But he... I, ac- I on accident went to go see a military recruiter, not realizing that it was the military and not the Peace Corps. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. So jokes on me. Just a little but, bit. Yeah. Just a little different. Yeah. <laughs> just a little different. Yeah. Peace Corps and Army, not the same. And <laughs> when I came back from that meeting, I was like, "Oh my goodness, I this is not for me. I can't do this. Who am I to join the military? Gosh." And when my dad asked me where I had been, I explained to him, and before I could tell him my rationale or that I wasn't interested. He went off to say that I was a weak person because I was a girl and that I couldn't accomplish anything more than marrying a guy someday and having a family. And that would be the best that I could do to bring, you know, pride and to bring, you know, honor to my family. And I thought, you know, and the thing was, he was 100% correct in who the person I was and the person I was going to be. 100% correct in everything. And so two days later, I was raising my right hand in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was swearing into the military for, yeah, for my first military contract. Oh, my goodness. And I think for me, it was just I, he brought to light that I was standing still and the Mm. whole world was moving around me and I wasn't doing anything about it. And I had the power to do something about it. And so I did. And so with the military, not only did that lesson follow into the military, but then all the military lessons that I learned in leadership and, and discipline and just their way of life and the morals that you hold on to, all of that led me to just take action and do things because you cannot sit there and stand still and hope that something will change and something that will happen. You have to take the first step. You have to move forward. And what would you say to those who would argue that, well, you know what, but we, there's, there is value in processing, understand, you know, self-awareness, understanding yourself, understanding where you came from, where you're going. There's, there's significant value in taking time to process before you do 
Uh, is there something that you would say in response to that person in the context of this conversation? Because I don't doubt the value. I would assume you don't doubt the value of that. But again, there's a tendency as artist types, as emotional types to get stuck in our head to over-process. And, and we're in this, you know, this ultra comfy first world situation right now where we even have the space to sit around and think and process before we actually do anything. Um, what, what would you say in response to somebody that says that? I think it's, and, and you're absolutely right. There is definitely a benefit to being able to plan and process and, and, and have things organized. And it's not necessarily saying that you have to just jump in no matter what. Right. It's saying that you need to be okay jumping in. You need to be okay with the fact that sometimes you just have to take action. Not necessarily all the time, but there are just going to be some times that you have to take action. And I bring this back to military because I feel like things like this are so cut and dry. In the military, sometimes when you are in a wartime situation and you're thinking to yourself, I need to act, I need to do something now because someone's life is on the line. And if I do not act, if I do not make this decision, someone may lose a life. And you just do it. You don't wait for orders. You don't wait for direction. You don't wait for someone to organize their thoughts. You just do it because things are dependent on that. And sometimes in business, yes, there's a way to plan and the way to do everything. But at some point when you are running your business, you just need to act because at the end of the day, if you're doing too much planning and you're spending too much time and you're not acting, then guess what? It is life or death. You are you're, you're not, if you have a family, you're, you're not, you're now not feeding your family. You're not paying your rent. You're not paying your mortgage. You're not paying your bills because you're too busy trying to strategize over and over and over again. And you're not taking action to help make your family survive. Wow. You know what? We could just stop there and this would have been an awesome podcast already (laughs) today. (laughs) That's really good stuff. Oh, this is really, really good. Okay. Well, I I know that we could probably just continue to to go deeper on that topic. Let's let's continue because you you talked about family. And um, so I'd love for you to share just a little bit about your family and how you guys like to spend free time together. Yeah. So I've been married over 10 years now and I have a son who is going to be three this summer. And we we like spending a lot of time outdoors whenever we can, of course. In Wisconsin, winter is pretty much half the year. Yeah. So I just got back we, from Minnesota, actually, and, <laughs> and was reminded. I, I, I ride motorcycles, and I have a brother that lives up there that, that rides a motorcycle as well. But he was talking about riding season or only being about six months long because of, yes. the, because of the just incredibly cold weather and, of course, the amount of snow that they have to deal with. So I, I'm, I was, I I was just in that area and I can totally relate. Although I have to say as difficult, I know is that, that weather in Wisconsin is, it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. Is that part of the motivation for living there? Um, So part of the reason why I live here is my whole family is here. And my, so my parents immigrated here after my dad, what my dad fought for the U S on during the Vietnam war and our land was basically invaded and after the war, our, you know, because we were, you know, advocates and we were helpers of the U.S., we were then put into basically camps and people were, they did not treat us well wow. at the end of the day. And, wow. and so oh, my parents were so lucky that our family found shelter after crossing from Laos to Thailand. They found shelter in Thailand. And then after a short year of being in the refugee camps in Thailand, my family moved over to the States and 
we actually landed in Chicago, Illinois, and we didn't know what to do or where to go. And luckily enough, Wisconsin at that time was accepting Hmong immigrants and they accepted us and we found a home here in Wisconsin and we haven't left since then. Wow. What an incredible story. And do you have siblings as well? Oh, I have a whole lot of, I have five sisters and three brothers. Wow. That's, so, wow. That's incredible. Are you, are you, is everybody pretty close and, and has everybody stayed there in Wisconsin? Um, for the most part, I'm right in the middle yeah. and we've, gr- we've certainly grown a lot closer over the last handful of years as we've all grown up and matured a little bit more. I do have a brother who's in the Navy, so he's out, he lives in Las Vegas, but he serves in California. Okay. And so He's in the Navy, and then I had a sister who joined, both of them are younger than me, a sister that joined the Marine Corps, and she met her husband, and she is now living in Oklahoma, and then I have another younger sister that also joined the Army National Guard, too, but everyone else is in Wisconsin besides the two siblings in Oklahoma and Las Vegas. Wow, that's amazing. Well, and obviously a strong heritage associated with the military, it's really, really incredible as well. Um, but are you the sole entrepreneur of the family or is that also a common trait in your family? No, that was, that was all me. <laughs> okay. And, and I think if, yeah, I think if my mom had grown up here in the U S she would have completely been like a badass entrepreneur. <laughs> I no doubt. She like, I know I get my fire from my mom. That's, that's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at this picture of you in the about section of your website. And by the way, for those of you listening in, uh, Colleen's website is very simply Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N, and then B's, B-I-E-S, ColleenBees.com. Uh, go check it out because this is a really interesting website to me. I don't know that I've had anyone on the Boca podcast that has a, an individual page for a website. Scrolling homepages are not a new thing, but that's literally your whole website, correct? Yeah, that's I, just... I love yeah. the simplicity of that. I think it's really, really great. But in that about section about you, there's a picture of you and definitely looking like the badass businesswoman. Uh, and I, you know what I just noticed too, is that you've got this light meter around your neck, which I think is the same model, a very similar model, the light meter that I have that I use when I shoot with my uh, medium format camera. I have this, this yes. 645 camera that, that I, and I'll pull out that light meter and uh, use it with that. It's, it's really simple, but it's very, very effective, works really well. But you are a, a wedding photographer and a boudoir photographer, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And how long ago did you get started in uh, photography? I know you talked about the significant role that the, the military played in your transition in a career, and you ended up spending a lot of time there. But how did you get into professional photography? Yeah, so I started in 2010 um, upon my return from Iraq, and I had been doing film photography in high school. And I did film photography in high school because we were incredibly poor. We couldn't afford anything. We couldn't afford a camera, no less. And so I did every photography course I could because it allowed me to use the school's camera and film, and I could develop and process everything on my own. And And that's where my passion really started with photography. So when I got to become an adult and got to take on this photography journey in 2010, I went back and I said, okay, digital is the way now. And I started going and I've been incorporating film back into my photography too, um, just for nostalgic purposes, I think. Oh, it's so fun. More than anything. But yeah, so that's when I started my journey. Yeah. What kind of what kind of film camera are you shooting with? So I have a Pentax 645N and I also have a Canon 1V. Okay. 
So both 35 millimeter and um, medium format. Medium format. That's perfect. Talk to us a little bit about how you got into the current business model. Is there, was there a particular impetus for getting into wedding photography and boudoir photography specifically? I think um, boudoir was one of the first things I got into actually before I got into weddings. A lot of people think it's the opposite way around. But I actually started with um, inviting three girls to my basement for boudoir photography, <laughs> which I nowadays I would highly recommend don't do that. It, it would be way too creepy. But <laughs> right. apparently eight years ago, it was slightly less creepy. Okay. And so I started off with that. And I think it's because of, you know, here with what I said before, I was a very insecure person growing up as a teenager. I didn't know what to do with myself. I hated myself. I hated my body. I hated everything about who I was, the color of my skin. And I felt a lot of shame for, for being a female, for being a minority, for being everything that I was. And I think for me, being a boudoir photographer meant that I got to help other people not feel that way. And, and to me, it was super important. It was very important for me to help allow women to feel absolutely beautiful in their own skin and who they are, because that makes an impact longer than just the session itself. And so that's where I started with that portion of my photography. Okay. And, and uh, I was going to say, you, you were actually talking to me before we started recording about this, this boudoir project that you're working on. Can you share just a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So with, with boudoir for me being more of an empowerment feature more than a gift or something fun or whatnot. And yeah, it can be all those things. But for me, I want it to be about empowering women to feel beautiful about themselves. And so what I'm doing is I'm hosting a free workshop. It's a boudoir workshop with three lessons between posing, posing and styling, marketing, and the after portion of the in-person sales. So all three of those lessons, there'll be, it's a $25 donation. And Every dollar of the donation is getting sent to or getting donated to a local women's abuse shelter in our area. And so I think it's, for me, it's taking something that's supposed to empower women and using all the money is every dollar that is donated for learning how to make other women feel beautiful and pulling it into a place where women really need it the most. Oh, it's such a beautiful, beautiful idea. I, I love your you know, entrepreneurial spirit and coming up with something like that and, and not only doubling, but tripling down on the efforts to empower women and, and more specifically in this case, those who have suffered at the hand of abuse. It, it's a really beautiful thing. And, um, and hopefully by the time this podcast goes out, we can, we can link to more information about that, that upcoming workshop as well. But then talk to us about wedding photography. Was there a particular reason to transition to wedding photography as well? So wedding photography for me, I think it's because secretly I didn't have a wedding. I really wanted one. <laughs> and because my husband and I, we eloped in between my military trainings. Wow. So we, we never even really had a ceremony. We eloped, we went to the courthouse about a year later, we had a big like backyard barbecue to celebrate with friends and family, but never did like the whole white dress walking down the aisle kind of a thing. And, and I don't regret that, but now I get to live vicariously through (laughs) everyone else. And I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, having been married over 10 years now, for me, I thought weddings was incredibly important because gosh, you have that one person that's day in and day out, they're by your side, they're there with you through thick and thin, always. And and to find that person, to find that connection, and then to even doc, to be honored to document 
that connection and just see that, look, I, I look at these couples and I think to myself, they have no idea. They have no, they think that today is the day they love each other most. They are so wrong wow. because it's just going to get better and better and they have no clue. And it's amazing to see that spark in them and to know that that spark is just going to grow stronger and stronger every day, every year. And well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stunned, honestly, because I, this is not a perspective that I get to hear a lot of times from those who've been married for, you know, even five or six or seven years. Somebody who's been married a decade can speak to the very idea that as a couple, you actually grow in your love together. That's a really, really cool thing. What, what's at the root of that? What, what leads to your, your husband's name is Andrew. Is that right? Yes. What, what is it about your relationship with Andrew that has enabled you guys to continue to grow more closely? I think it's just his unconditional support in everything that I do, who I am. He is not an artist by any means. He is a CPA. He is a numbers guy through and through, very analytical. Yeah. So he is definitely not romantic and he fully admits that. But what he does do is even though he doesn't understand the creative side, even though he doesn't understand truly what it is to be an entrepreneur or, or to be creative, he supports me as a person and he supports what I do. Um, and so and I love that. I love that he can be so out of the loop and so out of the know and still wholly support me and what I do because he sees the passion and he sees the drive and he sees the joy that it brings to me and my life. That, well, innate to that idea is something that we've talked about in the podcast before and, and really an idea that I plan on exploring further in a, a new podcast that I'm going to be starting uh, very, very soon called The Love Portrait. And the tagline for the, the podcast is Picturing Happy Relationships. And one of the elements of relationships that I've learned is, is so important over the last few years is that of, well, actually two elements. Number one, respect. It, sh- it sounds as though he shows you as an individual a significant amount of respect, minimal amount of control. You hear about a, a lot of relationships where one partner is extremely controlling over the other. And, and of course, that ultimately limits their ability to explore who they are as an individual and go after their dreams. And in this case, it's the exact opposite. He respects you enough as an individual and and is supporting you in your efforts to go to do things that you're passionate about. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then also the second element that I was referring to is independence. Um, you have the the freedom, the independence as an individual in a partnership, uh, but still as an individual to explore your passions and develop this this business and pursue philanthropic work. And it's a really beautiful thing. And I can imagine that both of those elements play significant roles uh, in this, what seems like a wonderful relationship that the two of you have. Yes, and they, it really does. And I think that for us being... I still consider us new parents, even though our son is two and a half, but so much of it is we want to share that to our child that, you know, life doesn't have to be so hard and that, that you can choose to do things that you want to do. You find, find people that are in your corner, find people that support you and love you. And even if you can't find someone that supports you and love you, you need to support and love yourself. You know? So a lot of that, we, so much of what we do, we we try to make sure that we are positive role models for our child so that when he grows up, he can feel like he's not limited. That's wonderful. Well, you mentioned that your husband is a CPA. So this is a really great segue into kind of our primary focus for today's conversation, which has to do with business financials. And I know a lot of artist types listening in, they're like, oh, no, we got to talk about money again or taxes <laughs> or how to manage my 
uh, my money in business. And it's honestly, it's not my favorite topic either. But the reality is, kind of like what we were talking about earlier in the conversation, if we're not proactive with our finances, we're going to find ourselves in a pretty tough spot. And, And I speak from personal experience. And I've said this on the podcast before, my biggest weakness as a photographer was managing my finances proactively. And that that hurt me quite significantly. And, you know, as much as I was, I built a, a very successful, or with my business partner, built a very successful photography business. And in the Chatt- this tiny little Chattanooga market, shooting weddings for as much as $10,000 a wedding, not being proactive in managing my finances hurt me. And so I, it, it's the thing that I emphasize over and over and over again um, here on the podcast, and, and I'm sure I've said it elsewhere, we have to be proactive with our finances as business owners, because the reality is, as much as it seems like a task or a chore, if we are proactive, if we put in the time and effort and energy, it'll actually free us up to focus on the things that we really truly enjoy. And by the way, also make a living at the same time. So um, this is a really important topic. You're getting ready to launch an initiative to teach photographers how to approach their finances strategically. And so I'm curious, first of all, where that motivation came from, and maybe talk a little bit about your background in this this realm of business finance as an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think I was motivated for a lot of different reasons. When I first started my photography journey, there were other photographers that were on the same journey And they started either just before me, around the same time, or shortly after me. And what I noticed is there were, I, you know, and I know this may sound really bad, and I shouldn't even say it, but I was not a good photographer when I first started. (laughs) I was not that creative. I was not that original. And but what I did have was I had the business know-how and the financial backup because that's what I went to school for. I went to school for finance and accounting. And I have a master's degree, an MBA um, in business administration. So, and and I spent 10 years working in corporate finance and compliance and a lot of those things. And most recently, I worked as a director of finance for a creative marketing and advertising agency as well. Wow. Yeah. So with all those experience, what I noticed is there were these other photographers that started around the same time that f- were far more talented than I ever dreamt I'd be they the way they could look at a scene and envision it and bring it to life my goodness i thought now that is an artist and it's not to discount what i do but i just knew that they were so much stronger of a photographer than i was but yet their business was failing and they ended up closing up shop and they closed their doors never to be really taught to or seen and never came back onto the entrepreneur or photographer market again and so it made me sad to think that there are so many incredibly talented people out there that are so good and so compelling and what it is that they do yet they haven't figured out the bare bones basics of how to run their business and how to make sure that financially their numbers are where they need to be so that they can continue doing what they love doing this and and you beautifully sun about really why we need to actually pay a little bit of attention to this and i guess that the first thing that I would ask is just based on your experience, what you've seen in the photography industry as a photographer, and especially in relation to the story that you just told, 
What would you say would be the, the three biggest reasons that creatives tend to freeze up when it comes to finances? And, and I'm again, I'm raising my hand. I was there. I did the same thing. I still have to be proactive, um, kind of push myself to make sure that I'm proactively managing my finances. It's so important. But why do we tend to freeze up? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons why people tend to free up and um, and this actually the dialogue comes out incredibly well in a book called The E-Myth. Yes. And I, I think you've heard about Absolutely. it too. But, but so much of it is that creatives are creatives. Creatives are not financial people. They're not accounting people. They're not business owners per se. They don't start off that way. And so it's easy to freeze up about finances because that is not innately what they do or what they wanted to do. And so it, it's it's easy, you know, to say, Oh, if you tell someone you're going to be a photographer today, but then tomorrow you're going to do some acrylic painting, you're like, I've never touched a paintbrush in my life, <laughs> right? And you expect me to 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 make a Picasso? What? Yeah. What? You know? So, um, so it's like that. It, it's trying to take someone and saying, here's what you do amazing and well, and this is something else that you have no clue what to do and how to do it, but you need to get it done and you need to be really good at it. You know, it's scary. It's scary for people to jump outside of their comfort zone, you know, and do something that feels completely opposite of who they are. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that blocks people from from looking at their finances. Yeah, I, I guess just the fear of the unknown. And that makes sense. But at the same time, and I'm, I'll play devil's advocate here, and I'm curious to get your thoughts. Do you think there is is there room for such an excuse in a day and age where we've got something like QuickBooks Online that's you know 39 bucks a month and you just enter some numbers in and it does all the hard work for you and you share it with your accountant and they can do your taxes. It, does it really have to be so difficult? Do they really have to know everything in order to be able to manage their, their finances relatively effectively? No. And the thing is they don't have to know everything, which is why managing your finances can be a much easier process. And I think it's that people you know, um, I'm, I've heard the saying before, so I, I don't remember where I heard it from, but people suffer in imagination more than they do in reality. Oh, so true. So I, I think your finances are not overly difficult to handle, but we imagine and we, we think of it and we dream up this nightmare of what it is. Yeah. And then it festers and it grows and to the point where it's almost crippling and we don't want to touch it and we don't want to look at it. And it's a whole year later and it's like, oh my gosh, it's tax time. Let me now open my books and see what's going on. Yeah. I remember when I used to, it, it would come to, to time to file um, sales tax and you know, I, I used to do the very thing that you're talking about. I'd create this this kind of big, not even a fear. It was just this, uh, it was more of an annoyance than anything. But I, I just build this thing up in my mind, like, oh, I've got to go do my sales tax. And I, I just don't want to do it. It's not something I enjoy. I'd rather put it off and do it another time. It's going to take too long. But when I actually sat down and did it, it took me all of you know 20 minutes and I could file it. And that was that. And so I think I love that quote because it really does very accurately represent a lot of the struggles that we have as business owners, not just when it comes to finance, um, but it's true. We tend to build it up in our mind way bigger than it is when we could just be doing it and we get it done and out of the way and we can move on to things that we do enjoy. So uh, but so you, you talked about the the fact or the reality that finance that the financial realm is not something that creatives are familiar with or comfortable with. That's one of the biggest reasons they tend to freeze up. Anything else come to mind there? 
No, I mean, for the most part, that that is the biggest biggest reason. Okay. And and once someone kind of get once they get past that and start to realize that no, this is it's like anything else. It's like putting a social media post up. It's no different than any other work that you're already doing within your business to make it to make it go. And that's true. And I think what comes to mind again is is our earlier conversation, the significance of just doing, kind of pushing past the you know, the, the unknown, as you also alluded to. And if, if it just is a matter of opening up that QuickBooks online account, calling the, the nearest accountant or CPA to, to connect with, to help you set up QuickBooks and, and share the information with that accountant so that they can, they can file your taxes for you. Uh, taking small steps like that, that really only take a few minutes at a time, um, that can move a lot of photographers probably significantly further than they've ever moved before. And it's only, it's only minutes of their time. And they're going to be over a hump and well on their way to being able to more proactively manage their finances. I, I think there's something really significant to just doing. So I'm glad that we've emphasized that fact today. What would you, what would you say are, let's go to the kind of the proactive route. That's the fear. That's the apprehension. That's what keeps creatives from engaging with their finances more proactively. What would you say are three things that photographers can do to kind of get a handle on their business finances? What, what's something, or what are three things that they can proactively move on? I think one thing is being on the forefront and keeping it, keeping it there. So consistently looking at your financials because, you know, out of sight, out of mind, if you're not looking at it, you're not thinking about it. So keeping an eye on it and, and checking it. And I'm not saying that you need to check your financials and look at your stuff every single day, but have a set number of days. Maybe you work on it once yep. a week, maybe you work on it twice a yeah. month, but making sure that it is there, it's in your forefront, it's in your sites, you've got it, you're looking at it and you're, you're seeing your numbers and you're seeing where you are. And so much of it is just seeing it and getting familiar with looking at it consistently. Yeah. This is something that I actually have built into my a weekly task list. So I use, and we've talked about Todoist on the podcast before, but I use a piece of software called Todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. But Todoist enables me to be able to create a task, uh, put it into my kind of the, the personal column, if you will, a personal project, and then set a repeating date for every Saturday uh, to review my, my personal finances. And of course, my personal finances as an entrepreneur are also tied to my business uh, finances, so keeping track of expenses or otherwise. But that's just one way that that I can, in a in a proactive manner, remind myself to go take a look at at my finances. And a lot of that is doing something as simple as just pulling up a, a, an application like Mint, which I can tie in not only to my personal accounts but also to my business accounts. Um, I can tie into a budget. And I can be much more proactive with my my finances that way. The key, of course, is consistency. But that's one way that you can proactive, or that our listeners can proactively remind themselves. They they can set a reminder up in their the reminders app on their iPhone or in a to do app or something comparable. And and as you said, whether it's you know maybe once a week or, or a couple of times a month, they're consistently taking a look at that so they're aware. And this, by the way, I, I'll throw this out there. Maybe you're going to talk about this a little bit as well, but. Keeping a an eye on your finances proactively isn't just about ta- taxes. It's also about being aware of where your business is making money, maybe what type of 
target client you should be going after maybe this particular market that that you're working in isn't providing the revenue or the income that you'd like and you need to take a look at something else looking at the numbers for the sake of intelligent business or the intelligent running of your business the proactive uh, running of your business uh, is really really important as well being aware of what those numbers look like is, is so important and the thing is it's not just creative entrepreneurs uh, that have issues with looking at finances. I mean, you know, according to like, there's a US bank study that 82% of small businesses fail because of cash flow problems. So a lot of it is that, you know, sometimes people just have money blocks in general. And if this is one of the things that you do have, if you have money blocks where you're afraid of money, afraid of making money, afraid of asking for money, those kinds of things, that's a whole different level about just your business finances, which is surprisingly, I mean, I'm adding this in one of my tips because because it's important because there are enough people out there that have these money blocks that you need to find help, like find a therapist to work through that because you have to work through that before you can actually get down to helping fix your business and look at your finances. It, it's true. And, and again, I'll just play a little bit of devil's advocate there that I think, I think at the end of the day, we can also, it, it, it's important whether it's through a therapist or or other means to have a certain level of self-awareness, understand where those fears are coming from and address them in one way or another. But I also think there's a tendency, as you and I talked about earlier, to kind of overcomplicate the process rather than just doing. And you know, when we're talking about doing something as simple as opening up your computer, going to QuickBooks online, looking at the numbers, seeing where your business, how you're spending money in your business, where business or where money is coming in and making adjustments accordingly is really not a complicated process. So uh, sure, figure out the root of the fears, but then also be proactive with really simple, simple steps. And we were talking things that will take only a few minutes to do on a weekly basis, or maybe just every every two or three weeks even. You're, you're doing these things, you're being proactive, you're creating some awareness, you can make adjustments in your business, you can work with your accountant, um, maybe to save money on taxes, just by spending a few minutes um, every week or two or three weeks. It, it The key here is consistency and also ultimately creating awareness. And I think that's that's really important. So you said the first step is consistently looking at those finances. What's a, a second step that they can take to, to more proactively uh, manage their business finances? So maybe this goes a little bit out of order, but with managing your finances, not only do you want to be consistent about it, but you need to pay attention to the numbers because the numbers talk. So maybe you sell your maker and you sell products and you're selling items and you have raw materials and whatnot, understanding what does it cost for I'm selling this X product at $100 and my cost is $50 and then yada, 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 like understanding that, okay, so what is my cost of goods sold and what is that percentage? And then looking at the industry, I mean, so much of this is public knowledge too, where you can say, okay, well, the industry average is 25% of cost of goods sold. And you're sitting at 50%. Why? Why are you sitting at 50%? What does that tell you? What is the story that that number tells you about your business? And then and then listen to that story. Okay. And say, okay, well, this number is telling me that I'm spending more money on my cost of goods sold than the average in you know company or market that I'm in. And then you ask yourself, well, why is that? Well, am I doing this because I need to raise my prices and my prices are too low. Am I doing it because I'm not getting a good price on my raw materials and I need to go with cheaper materials or more affordable materials or find a new supplier or buy in bulk? Um, 
so a lot of these questions arise when you look at your numbers and allow the numbers to t- tell you what's happening. Yeah, and, and that's good. I'm glad that we're emphasizing this is something that we kind of alluded to a little bit earlier as well. But those numbers aren't just about taxes. It's about being aware of how your business is running and making adjust as you look at those numbers that empowers you or enables you to make adjustments as needed. And we've talked about this at least briefly in the podcast before, but there's the conversation around how photographers price their services is really overly complicated many times because at the end of the day, there's some very practical elements of both these photographers' personal lives and their businesses that they need to look at in order to make those decisions. First of all, we all have bills that we need to pay. Um, You alluded to that earlier, Colleen. Not only that, I'm I'm hoping that all of us have some type of goal in place for the sake of of long-term savings and investments. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, there's, I, I personally like to, um, to be able to travel pretty consistently each year, um, not just one trip, not just one vacation, but for example, I just got back from a weekend trip to Minnesota, visited some family up there. Uh, prior to that, I was in Austin, uh, Texas with my son to go to, to motorcycle races. Prior to that, I was uh, in Seattle with my kids and then also had the chance to go up to uh, Manhattan. And this is all within the span of the last month. Now, I'm not going to travel that, that much all year long. But I like to have the freedom, the flexibility to be able to do that. And so in order to, to make those kinds of trips, or maybe it's not trips, maybe you like to be able to go shopping at a particular store each month or whatever it might be, there's certain things that we also want to do. In addition to our needs, there's certain things we want to do. So there, there are these the baseline financials that we, we know that we are reaching toward or should be reaching toward that should first determine the type of business model that we're creating. Um, and then when we start to further break it down, we've got to l- understand what what our value is as an individual, what we are ultimately making hourly. And then, Colleen, as you pointed out, cost of goods sold, not just randomly picking an album company because you think it's cool, but you also have to think about how much that album costs uh, and how that plays, plays into not only your hourly rate associated with providing the service for this client, but also your total cost of goods sold, the utilities that you may have to pay for either an office space or or something comparable, potential for payroll out there as well for some of your larger studios. There are a lot of different factors here that have to be considered, but being aware of your numbers enables you to be able to intelligently manage your business and make adjustments where necessary for the sake of then meeting your bigger picture goals. And this is really none of that is compl- that complicated. You need to sit down, write out what your goals are, understand what your your needs are, what your wants are, very clearly outline those, and then figure out what you're worth an hour and ultimately the, the cost of goods sold associated with the various services that you're selling and, um, and if necessary, ultimately make adjustments. So I, I love that you're pointing this out. It's this, this notion of proactivity doesn't have to be complicated, but you do have to do it. And at the end of the day, it's the doing it that is, and doing it consistently at that, that's so important. So we talked about consistently looking at finances and not just simply kind of randomly looking at them, but then secondly, looking at them very proactively in, in an effort to and I keep using this word proactive, but it's this idea of being intentional with your business and more specifically with your numbers, making adjustments as necessary. What's a third way that photographers can uh, better manage their business finances? And really the third way is, is to get professional help because expecting a photographer to be able to do all of this is, you know, unrealistic sometimes, especially if they don't have the background on it. it is getting 
a really good bookkeeper or a really good accountant or someone who can really dive into the details and not just say, here's your numbers, but to, to help you analyze and assess what that means. Because knowing that, finding a really good partner in that to help you out is going to help you with your business strategy overall, not just your financial strategy. It's true. Yeah. And I'm, I'm being a little bit of a hard ass, I think, on the uh, on, with our yeah, listeners no, okay. right now. And you're playing the, the, the softer individual. And I, I like that you're extremely empathetic. And, it, and it's the reality is it's true. In fact, I, again, I'll raise my hand and, and say that I, I very much have needed professional help <laughs> when it comes to finances uh, on my end. And I've, I've so appreciated that. So yes, while at the end of the day, all of us as business owners, as entrepreneurs, should be proactive and taking what are ultimately not that complicated a step or two or three or four steps to, to proactively manage our finances. We should get a professional involved um, because it's not what we ultimately, or most of us, Colleen, you're definitely an exception to the rule, but most of us didn't go to school for this stuff. We, we don't have much background in it. And having somebody come along and, and just help us even get set up with the basics so that we can then proactively manage it with very little time on a consistent basis is really important. It's nice to have somebody in your corner is like, hey, you know what? No, you could do this, this, and this, and it'll make it easier for you. Or you can do these things, and it'll save you money in your taxes at the end of the year. Having a professional that knows, that actually knows what they're doing is, is really important. So I'm glad that you make that point. This is good. Well, this is, and, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording. We're just kind of barely scratching the surface uh, of this topic of business finances uh, for creatives. This is a really, really big topic. It's a deep topic, and there are many elements that we could spend probably multiple podcast episodes on. But what I want to do is point our listeners in the direction of this resource uh, that you're going to be offering to the creative industry. Uh, the, the website is the tacticalentrepreneur.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Perfect. And tell us a little bit more about this initiative and the type of education that you're going to be offering for creatives. So this initiative is to help creative business entrepreneurs in looking at their finances strategically and tactically. So it's all about, I have two programs. So either one, um, if you're just starting out, if you need someone to just go through and say, hey, look, this is where you're at. This is how to get you started. This is the structure that you should begin with. So that way you can consistently do your finances on your own without always needing help. And a lot of people, when they're first starting their business, that's perfect for them because they just need to know how to start, how to structure their financial workflow, how to structure that. And then you get other businesses that are in business three, five, seven, ten 10 years, and they are still living on a client-to-client basis, and they're still having issues, and they're still thinking, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just keep generating more income and more income and more income. But the, the thing is, at the end of the day, we, we consume what we make. And, and so it, it feels like, oh, well, we're making all this money and we're not, not going anywhere. So part of it is also educating creatives and creative agencies on their finances and helping them diagnose their numbers, going through and making a financial assessment on the health of their company, how they're doing financially. And, and it's not just companies that are doing bad. This is companies that are doing well, that are turning profits, they're turning profits year after year, but maybe they're not looking deeply. Maybe they're just thinking, oh, we're making money. We're in the black. Everything's good. But what what is the story that their numbers are telling them? Let's analyze that. Let's take a look at this. Let's, let's make an assessment. Let's analyze all your numbers and then let's make a tactical step-by-step plan on how to attack this and get it in a spot where it's 
more healthy. And so that program, my diagnosis by numbers program is a lot more in-depth program. So it's a, it is a three-year minimum requirement. You have to be in business three years in order to apply for that program. Um, and it's, you know, I think I have a cap currently where it's $3 million in annual revenues or less. Okay, perfect. Wow. And I know that some of those, that, that kind of number for a lot of our listeners is probably going to be a really, really big number. But I love that you're offering a range of services and, and consultation here for business owners that are in different places uh, with their finances yes. and with their businesses. And that's really, really good. Ultimately, it's just nice to know that there is somebody, as, as we were saying earlier, that's in your corner, that's got your back, and that can help you, me, all of us creatives with something like our business finances that maybe isn't our biggest strength. It's nice to have somebody like yourself calling in our corner and helping us out. So we'll make sure to link to that resource in our show notes for this episode. You guys also go check out Colleen B's, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-B-I-E-S.com. And then uh, again, the tacticalentrepreneur.com. And then Colleen, where can everybody find you on social media? So they can find me through just Colleen B's is my handle. And as the tactical entrepreneur pops up, it'll be popping up as the tactical entrepreneur. So that will also be easy to find. And that's on Instagram and on Facebook is all the same thing. So facebook.com backslash the tactical entrepreneur or backslash Colleen B is perfect. Well, this has been a, a lovely, wide-ranging conversation, um, and I've probably ranted and, and gone on more than, than I should at times, but I just I really appreciate you making time for the Boca podcast, for sharing with us your wide-ranging expe- personal experiences, and of course, your, your experience as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and then ultimately in the financial world, and th- this has definitely been a valuable uh, podcast episode for our listeners, so thanks for making time for us calling. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com.